Hi, this is John Ratzenberger. That's right, the same John Ratzenberger that played the part of the very handsome mailman on the TV show Cheers. Now, it's a little-known fact that, in my heart, I'm just a country boy. Welcome to the NutriBlends Animal Ag Podcast, where we tell the truth about American agriculture. On this podcast, false rumors are run out of town. Misleading marketing gets called out for what it is, and you better have good science to back up your claims or you're getting a boot. You hear me? I'm John Ratzenberger, coming to you from Nashville, Tennessee. Having healthy gut microbiome is key to having a healthy animal. From a management point of view, the environment serves as a source of microbes and care needs to be taken not to inadvertently introduce pathogenic species. Dr. Richard Murphy is the research director at the Alltech European Bioscience Center in Dunboyne, Ireland. He received a bachelor's degree in biochemistry in 1994 on the Faculty of Science and Health Studies at Dublin City University. Welcome Dr. Murphy. John, thanks very much. Now, is the uh, Dublin City, obviously, is in Dublin, correct? <laughs> it is, yeah, yeah. Um, and fellow we was in here yesterday, his son is a quarterback for Notre Dame football here in America. Cool. And Notre Dame is playing the U.S. Navy team in Dublin. Was it next year sometime? Yeah, yeah, the, the, the they do a game every year. It's always great fun. Oh, that's I wish I got to find out more about that. Maybe I'll go. Yeah, you should. I'll, do. I'll be knocking at your door at four in the morning. Oh, that's all right. Singing on your doorstep. <laughs> <laughs> Doctor, you work with the gut microbiome. Can you give us a short overview of what the microbiome is? Oh, that's a good one. Um, I like to think of the gut microbiome as being the final frontier. So it, it, it'd be wonderful if you'd said, I have no idea. <laughs> it's one of the most, I guess, it's a, an area of research that is getting so much attention these days. And, and basically, when we look at the microbiome, what we're actually talking about is a, the collection of organisms that live with inside us. So everything from bacteria to fungi to yeast, protozoa, and even viruses. Um, and in fact, there's a lot of work which now basically shows that when you look at the number of cells that are in the microbiome, there's actually 10 times more microbial cells within our guts than are actually within our body. So when you're looking at me, John, you're probably only looking at something that's 10% human, uh, if you were to think of it in that terms. Um, so the microbiome is this massive collection of organisms that live with inside us, um, and they control everything. Um, at this stage now, the microbiome has been linked with control of intestinal morphology, physiology, even uh, our mood. Um, that all seems to be controlled by processes that uh, the microbiome, that the collection of organisms are involved in. Um, and in fact, such is the importance of the microbiome that a lot of scientists now tend to think about it in terms of it being an additional organ. Um, so it's not just bacteria that are involved in the breakdown of the food that we take in, 
Um, they control everything, like I say, from uh, intestinal morphology, the immune function, immune development, um, even how our mood. Um, so it's a, a, a very important collection of organisms that live with inside us. Um, I actually think it's a, probably one of the most fascinating areas to research. It's, it's certainly is my favorite area to work on. Um, and it really is uh, an area which, as I said, is only in the last 10 to 15 years that people have begun to understand the importance of it, begun to understand um, how critical it is for not just the health um, of our animals, but also our own health. So it's got a lot of parallels across species. Yeah, yeah. And that's probably the most interesting aspect of it is that we can learn a lot from uh, one species by studying the microbiome there. But then we use that information to try and apply it across other species. And, and certainly that's something that we've seen with our own work. A um, lot of different factors influence how the microbi microbiome develops. Um, so when we look at production elements, it's everything from where they're housed, the environment, so temperature outside, the humidity inside. Um, but probably one of the most critical, I think, influencers would be the diet uh, and the composition mm -hmm. of the diet. And that's something that I think really is a, a, an area that we've begun to look at now and say, hang on a second, you know, we make changes in the diet, we actually may be negatively influencing um, this collection of organisms that are within us. And that can have profound impacts on, on, on health and performance. Uh, and in fact, when we look at... Um, changes that we make in the diet. So when we go from starter to, to grower to finisher or whether we move through phase feeding programs, we actually begin to, I think, look at, or it's actually like we're introducing a short window of opportunity um, for pathogens to get hold. So when we make those changes in the diet, that actually disturbs the microbiome or, or disturbs the bacteria um, and allows these, if you like, windows of opportunity for pathogens to take hold. And that's typically where we would see um, what we would call dysbiosis, or what we would call, or what we would refer to as uh, intestinal upsets in humans, for instance. So, would you still recommend the uh, uh, rasher bacon, eggs, and beans, and fried toast, and uh, yeah, supplemented with a bit of fruit? It's <laughs> like <laughs> <laughs> uh, so. Back to the comment I made just about um, you know the this collection of organisms, so the diversity of organisms that are there. Um, and if you can influence that diversity with the diet, then you can actually influence the health and, uh, and well-being. And that's why it's important with our own diets that, you know, we eat as many different types of food as we can as possible because that oh, aids the development. So, so that, that's interesting because so many things, especially down in Los Angeles, so you don't stick to certain things. And I've always been uh, of... of that philosophy is just like the seagull. <laughs> just eat whatever's there. Figure it out. So that is a healthy way to eat then. Yeah, I would, yeah, I would think so. You, you, um, definitely fiber is, 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 is very important, but um, try and just have as many different types of food, many different types of, of vegetables as possible in the diet. And, and certainly... Um, vegetables? Yeah. I've heard of those. Okay, yeah. green things. Yeah, <laughs> you get red ones some. as well. <laughs> well, and, you, know, you mentioned, you know, how diet influences uh, microbiome diversity. Um, actually, is a, can you tell me a little bit more about that? But that's what we're talking about anyway. Yeah, so um, I think one of the, the, the 
the biggest issues that we face with, with production animals is that we typically tend to have a quite limited range of bacteria within the gut. And that range of bacteria is influenced by the, the, the diet um, that we use. So modern diets are, are bred for fast, or, or sorry, modern diets are formulated for uh, fast growth of the animal, get them to put on um, muscle, get them to, to, to make protein, if you like. Um, as quick as possible and as fast as possible, but that may not necessarily be the correct diet to have uh, an optimum, if you like, microbiome or an optimum uh, group of bacteria. So certainly what we've seen over the last while is that different types of, of, of diet can have negative, but sometimes you can have positive impacts on, on the um, microbiome. Uh, and at the same time now, we've seen the development of a lot of different uh, nutritional aids, so um, nutritional components in the diet that are designed to try and influence the diversity of bacteria that are there or tr to try and aid in, in the support of bacteria. So things we would think about there would be the likes of probiotics, say for instance, and um, we may use enzymes, we can use organic acids, um, or we can use so-called prebiotics, which are, 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 are um, um, fiber components. And that's the, I guess, the, the nutritional aid that we would work with pretty much almost exclusively um, in Dunboyne. So the, my research group in Dunboyne is quite a large gut health program. And we focus on the use of, of prebiotics, uh, specifically mannan-based prebiotics. Mannan? Mannan, yeah. So it's a type of sugar. Um, but with this prebiotic, it's uh, like a, a big sugar chain with a lot of different um, types of, of branch sugars off of that. So we get a, um, a very... A complex sugar source, which um, is termed a prebiotic, so it aids in the in the uh, growth of specific types of bacteria. But then it has uh, tremendous benefits then in terms of uh, promoting growth of, of diversity of bacteria. So rather than having a, a single group or a, a narrow range of bacteria, we actually promote the growth of a much wider range of bacteria, which is why um, we get the, the health and performance benefits that we get from these MRF-based products. A um, couple of different types of, of uh, mannan-based prebiotic. So we would have had, I guess, first-generation products like uh, moss, which would have been crude kind of preparations from, from yeast. That's probably the best way to think about them. And then we've developed subsequent second generation. So these would, would be much more refined, um, if you like, fractions from the original first generation moss products, so the so-called MRF. And these are uh, termed as mannan-rich fractions. So they have a much uh, greater concentration of this specific branched um, mannan-based prebiotic in them and, and that's pretty much what we use to influence diversity so to try and uh, increase the diversity of bacteria within the gut. Would the probiotic that I get in the supermarket be the same as the one you give animals? Uh, yeah, it can be, yeah. So, so, so basically probiotics will be live bacterial cultures. That you want to introduce into your gut. Yeah, um, and a lot of those tend to be lactobacilli or pediococcus based um, so simple single cultures um, there's a lot of pros a lot of cons for those um, I think nowadays people are, are moving away from single strain prebiotics and looking at multiple strain prebiotics um, people are also exploring the use of fermented foods as a way of introducing uh, fermented cultures. food yeah fermented foods like so, beer 
Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> well, what's, what, what do you mean by fermented food? So sauerkraut, for instance, that will be oh, an example. Oh, I love sauerkraut. Yeah. I eat it all the time. So that would be a good way of, of, of getting a, a range of probiotic cultures into you. Um, other products then like kefir, for instance, which would be um, a specific type of f- fermented milk product. And that can oh, yeah. have maybe 20 to 30 different types of, of um, bacterial probiotics and, and yeast probiotics in them. So they're much more diverse in nature than the single-strain probiotics that will be used. These are newer products that are coming on the market. What, what, what else would be in that list? I'm hoping you're going to say uh, sausage, but probably not. Uh. <laughs> Polish sausage, <laughs> pierogies. That's, that's where my mind goes. Now, have you identified how MRF products influence the, the gut microbiome? Yeah, so this is all, I, I guess, fairly recent work that we've been involved in. Um, so we've known for many years that prebiotics are, are very good at controlling pathogens like E. coli and salmonella, for instance. And a lot of interest in these over the last 20 years and how uh, moss-type uh, prebiotic products can actually prevent E. coli and salmonella from attaching to the um, uh, intestinal um, surface and then stopping invasion of the cell or, or, or stopping the... Um, problems that you would see with dysbiosis. What we actually know now is that when you use um, more refined uh, um, mana-based prebiotics like those mana-enriched fractions, you actually influence the diversity. So you expand the overall diversity of bacteria within the um, gastrointestinal tract. Um, And and to put it in simple terms, um, what we've noted is that if you were to look at the the type of bacteria that are present before and after use of of MRF-based products in the diet, you move away from an overpredominance of so-called gram-positive bacteria. Um, and you actually begin to rebalance, if you like, uh, the microflora. You, uh, you get an expansion of the gram-negative. So you get, instead of having an overpredominance of gram-positives, you now have a much more balanced microflora composed of gram-positives with a greater proportion of, of gram-negatives in there. Um, and I think one of, the, one of the misconceptions, perhaps, is that when we think about gram positives and when we think about gram negative bacteria, people tend to um, categorize them as good and bad. So they typically think about gram negatives as being mm-hmm. bad bacteria and gram positives as being good bacteria. But it's like everything in life. Uh, not all uh, um, the gram positives are going to be beneficial and likewise not all the gram negatives are, are going to be pathogenic or, or detrimental. So it's about balance, basically. Much the same as, the, I guess, the comment I made about having a balanced diet. It's important to have that balance within the GI tract as well in terms of the, the makeup of the gut microflora. So that's what we found with MRF is that we get this rebalance between the gram positives and the gram negatives. And that's what begins to make the, uh, the um, GI tract work more efficiently. So that's why we get those um, weight gains, why we get those feed conversion ratio improvements that we see when we use man and prebiotics in the diet. So for humans, like this, for Benjamin Franklin's advice, everything in moderation? Yeah, I think so, yeah. yeah, yeah. Even, even though he consistently had the gout, because his diet was very rich, but... Too much port and cheese. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. get it every Christmas. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, because he spent a lot of time in France. <laughs> so those pastries... Can you, can you explain how the increasing diversity can aid with pathogen control? Um, yeah, so this has been a, a really interesting area for us. And in, in that I mentioned in the past about how, you know, people used 
manin-based prebiotics as a way of controlling E. coli and salmonella. Uh, and the way in which that works is that um, it acts like a decoy. So the manin-based sugars bind to the bacteria through these specific receptors that the bacteria have, and it stops them attaching to the intestinal uh, wall. But what we've actually found is that when you change the diversity of bacteria, you actually influence the prevalence of other um, pathogens like Campylobacter, for instance. So uh, we know I, I, what was it called? Campylobacter. So it's one of the biggest. Campylobacter is is uh, one of the biggest, I guess, sources of food poisoning uh, worldwide. Um, tends to uh, be quite nasty, and people tend to get quite ill and can can cause a, a lot of deaths from it. So it's one of these pathogens that we like to control in the food chain. Um, but what we've actually seen with MRF in the diet is that you rebalance the gut microflora. And when you rebalance the gut microflora, you now reduce the prevalence of pathogens like Campylobacter. Um, and actually what's, what's of interest is that we see this uh, across multiple species. So we know we can get a reduction in Campylobacter prevalence, not just in poultry, but we also see it in pigs. And in fact, a, a more recent study in mice uh, of, of all animals actually show, again showed that same response. We get the same improvement in diversity and then we get a, a reduction in um, Campylobacter load as well. So it's been a, quite an interesting journey for us that when you make those changes in, in diversity. Mm -hmm. It can have more profound impacts than we think about. And one of those added benefits, as I said, is the control of pathogens like Campylobacter. And that's a, a big problem on the poultry side, big problem on the, on the pig side as well. Is, is that information shared over to the human side to researchers on the... Uh, yeah, yeah, so I, again, a lot of parallels in, in, in multiple species. Uh, we've begun to do a little bit of work on the human side. So a colleague of mine, Dr. Ronan Power, they've done a small bit of work on, on, on the human side and they see similar, similar parallels to sure. what we would see. Um, obviously, it's difficult to, I guess, assess um, the impact on, on Campylobacter in humans because you, you're not going to do a challenge study in, in, in humans. You're not going to um, challenge them with Campylobacter to see can you control it. Um, but it, it certainly is... Uh, an organism that we know when we influence the diversity, we definitely decrease it. And I, I do think it'll occur in all species. Mm. Well, is it possible that as well as controlling pathogens, we could control AB resistance through enhancing the microbiome's diversity? Um, yeah, so uh, antibiotic resistance is a, another big area that we work on in Dunboyne. Um, and we've, we've, we've had tremendous success with this. Um, I think the area of antibiotic resistance is still one of the great unknowns. Um, and I say that kind of cautiously in, in that, well, there's a lot of information out there um, on antibiotic resistance and, and the prevalence of antibiotic resistance within the GI tract. Um, I think the total extent of it is still pretty much uh, um, um, unknown. Um, it's still pretty much uh, an area that's been actively researched on and, and major discoveries are being made on it almost on a weekly basis. And um, from our own point of view, I think when people think about antibiotic resistance, they tend to think about um, resistance of a bacteria to a single antibiotic, like whether it's penicillin or whether it's tetracycline. Um, but what we've actually seen from profiling work, from recent profiling work, uh, is that there are literally hundreds of genes responsible for resistance towards 25, 30 different types of antibiotics present within the GI tract. So the ability of the bacteria within the GI tract 
to become resistant to multiple antibiotics is already there. Um, so for us, our, the challenge that we have is to try and understand what the extent of the problem is, but then how we can begin to control that problem. Um, but what we've actually seen, again, is this, back to this concept of, of diversity. When you influence the diversity of bacteria within the GI tract, we actually see decreases in the prevalence of um, multiple resistance genes, multiple resistance markers. Um, but not only that, what we actually know is that those diversity changes, um, you'll actually bring about an increase in the sensitivity of bacteria. To antibiotics. Um, so when we look at resistant coliforms, so resistant E. coli, for instance, what we see is that the most resistant strains are the ones that become more sensitive. Um, and that for me is, a, I guess, a tremendous discovery in that when we think about it, what we're trying to do is control resistance um, through uh, reducing antibiotic use and, and antibiotic reliance on antibiotics. But what we actually see now is that, well, perhaps we can make antibiotics more effective by controlling the diversity of bacteria that's there. And, and that's something that I think is, 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 is a fundamental part of the puzzle, is that if we can um, influence the sensitivity of bacteria to the antibiotics, then we can not only reduce the amount that we add, we can reduce our reliance on them, but also ultimately reduce the spread and the dissemination of antibiotic resistance. So that's a, a, quite an exciting area for us um, it's one I'm quite passionate about. Um, uh, and again, we, we see this time and again um, from study to study is that the most resistant strains are the ones that become more sensitive, but the overall prevalence of resistance tends to get reduced as well. So, And how do you make uh, you know, that uh, to more sensitive? Are we to play music to it or read the poetry? <laughs> <or>? um, <clears throat> it's actually, again, this is a, a, an area that we haven't published yet, so it's, it's, it, I've no problem sharing the, the information with you. What we actually do is, because it's a prebiotic that we're using, we actually change the energy metabolism of the bacteria. So we've, The energy metabolism. Yeah, so we've mapped the way in which the bacteria metabolizes. And how do you make... Um, you know that uh, to more sensitive. We do play music to it or read the poetry. <laughs> <or>? um, <clears throat> it's actually again. This is a, a, an area that we haven't published yet, so it's, it's it, I've no problem sharing the, the information. Which what we actually do is because it's a prebiotic that we're using, we actually change the energy metabolism of the bacteria. So we've, the energy metabolism. Yeah, so we've mapped the way in which the bacteria metabolizes um, sugar sources, say, to provide energy. So they get a change in the way in which they... So the bacteria basically changes the way in which it produces energy. So it shifts the way in which it produces energy. And as a result, it becomes more sensitive. Hmm. Could, is this... Does the bacteria have a shape, or are there so many types of bacteria that it's all different shapes? I mean, if you were to draw class, this is what bacteria looks like. Oh, there are all sorts of shapes. Rods, yeah. small circles, large circles. Uh, some of them will be spiral, so, so-called spirochetes. Spirochetes, have, yeah. They might have tails on them, appendages sticking out the sides of them. It's just, there's, yeah. no, there's no common denominator in their shape. <clears throat> no, not in their, in, shape, in their makeup no. between bacteria. Yeah, they're all they're wonderful organisms. 
Yeah, uh, well, it killed the Martians in the War of the Worlds. <laughs> <laughs> so it saved us. Yeah, just as well we didn't give the Martians um, MRF-based prebiotics or they might still be there, you know. We'd be working for them. Yeah, we would. Who knows, maybe we are already. <laughs> well, the role that overall microbial diversity uh, plays in influencing health and performance has come under increased scrutiny is how diet can influence this diversity. Ultimately, the goal with nutritional intervention is to normalize gut function through a process of microbial repair and rehabilitation. The gut continues to give us more questions than answers, but we're definitely making headway. I want to thank Dr. Murphy and encourage our listeners to join us next week to hear what's on tap in animal agriculture.